Hey devs, you're tuning into the debug log number 92. And it is a meaty one. As you can see from the track time, it is over an hour. But we've got an interview for you guys with friends of the podcast, Dan Moran, and fellow Sprocketeer, Lisa Hicks. And today we're talking to you today about optimizing your game for performance. So we talk all about performance, graphics performance, CPU performance, CPU, etc., etc. We go into all of that goodness. Uh, I will not belabor this one because it is already lengthy and the more I talk, the lengthier it gets. So, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just kidding, sorry. <laughs> so without further ado, this is the debug log number 92. Oh, I, I was like, you kind of said the parting advice thing and I was reading the words on Slack at the same time as you said it. And so I expected you to say like parting advice slash story time. I was like, wait, why didn't you say story time? And I was like, I don't know why I said that aloud. <laughs> Listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name is Obino Para. And I'm Ryan Kilgore. And today we have another interview for you guys. This is a really, really good one. This one is with Dan Moran and Lisa Hicks. Dan, we've had on the show before, but Lisa is a brand new uh, Sprocket interviewee <laughs> that we're bringing. Sprocketeer! Yeah, Sprocketeer. Yes. Yeah, and today we're talking about, like, as I mentioned in the intro, we're talking about optimizations and performance and how to leverage different tools and different methodologies to increase performance on your game. So that's what we talk about as we talk to them about. Uh, Dan is a graphics guy and Lisa is... Yeah, it's primarily a little more graphics, you know, like Lisa's a little more, I guess, uh, traditional stack, you know, like just sort of computer science back in. I mean, they're, they're both great at what they do. And so, but we're going to get two different perspectives out of it. You got sort of visual in the back end, you know, the UI, uh, looking at it from a lot of different angles with those. For things. sure. Great episode ahead. So stay tuned. Here we go. All right, and we are back with another great episode of the Debug Log, and today we have a interview for you guys, which we've kind of been short on for a while, uh, but we have a special, a couple of special guests today. Uh, that is Dan Moran, who's actually a friend of the podcast, who's been on the show before. Uh, he's hey. going to impart some more great knowledge, and then we also have a new <laughs> guest, a new hopeful friend of the podcast, Lisa Hicks. So welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Hello. Howdy. What's up? Oh, yeah, and then Ryan as well. Yeah, I'm here, too. Also, Ryan's here. <laughs> yeah. I'm reuniting with my long-lost friends. Come on, man. Yeah, That's true. Geez. Oh, yeah, Lisa is a sprocketeer. She's works at Sprockets as well. I like it. I like that. Let's, let's rename right the actual on. company. <laughs> sprocketeers. I love that on our T-shirts. There you go. Great. Cool, cool, cool. So we, I guess our listeners know a little bit of Dan Rand. We'll get to you, Dan. But sure, first, yeah. let's, I want to uh, reach out and learn a little bit more, let the listeners learn a little bit more about what Lisa Hicks is all about. So Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into games, engineering, you know, why, what, what makes games so exciting for you? Sure. Um, so uh, I'm Lisa. I've been an engineer for uh, six years in games now. Um, I've always been a game enthusiast since i was a little kid uh remember watching my brother bring home his friend's n64 with a copy of orcarina of time and i was like wow this is the best thing ever so um and 
I've been inspired by that and several other video games growing up and actually, you know, always inspired to sort of get into the industry. I've also actually really in school, my first approach is I wanted to get more into the 2D animation side of things. Um, and I did a lot of, you know, art stuff growing up, but then I got to college and I looked at the price of art school and I was like, whoa, no, thank you. <laughs> Don't do it. I was, yeah. I was like, wow, how else can I get into, into games and multimedia, you know, after making so many flash animations and, uh, you know, new ground stuff. I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, Fair well, enough. You know, Flash also kind of helped me get a little bit into programming with ActionScript 2 and um, learning about that stuff. So I was like, wow, I wonder maybe I could get in on this. And so uh, I went into computer science in college, um, basically, as a, as a fallback, because screw art school. So <laughs> yeah. computer was a science was fallback. your fallback for yeah. art? <laughs> and, and now I'm uh, making loads of dosh out here in California. So, oh, nice. Uh, well, good decision. <laughs> cool, cool. So that's actually an interesting story about how you got into engineering. Go like Initially you were thinking of doing art and then you kind of transitioned or fell into it. Yeah, that's an it. interesting yeah. transition, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yep. Uh, so yeah, again, welcome to the show, Lisa Dan Moran. So what's been going on since What's the last up? time we spoke? How's making stuff look good? Oh my goodness, it's been been forever. So yeah, making stuff look good. Channel about uh, teaching people shaders and stuff. Almost entirely fallen off. A little <laughs> bit to do with crunch. I be, I believe you guys did an episode on crunch. Uh, oh yeah, maybe did. close. Maybe close to our crunch time at Sprockets. Um, I'm I'm learning something new that uh, Lisa and I actually have a, a similar lineage. I don't know if this came up when I did my origin story last time, but I also started um, Flash, uh, 2D animation, and then at one point I was like, "Ooh, action script looks looks fun." Um, did it really? That's, that's oh, funny. That's, <laughs> well, which did, action did script it? was it? Like two or three? Was one of them was were, garbage. Were, the other one was two. Two was two was the garbage one. Three was when it became like an object oriented mm. language, but two was also really, really like stupidly easy to like make little right. dumb yeah. toys and stuff in. So yeah, you like make movie clip and then like put a thing like when you hit the button, make this movie clip play. You're yeah, like, exactly. Oh, they had yeah. like on button press was like a top <laughs> yeah. level event yeah. accessible to everything right, or whatever. Right. Yeah. The world is my big. oyster. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what is performance though? And then <laughs> oh, segue. Perfect. Because that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode is all about performance. Exactly. Thank you, Dan. His <laughs> performance and I, better at this than us. Exactly. Well, I mean, he does have a show with way more viewers, but let's like let's not do that right now. Uh, but yeah, performance and optimization. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, I kind of I kind of want to use take the approach of uh, our listeners may not know this, but Dan is kind of like our graphics. Well, they may do know, do know this, but graphic he's like our graphics engineer here at Sprockets, and Lisa is kind of like our our. Our head, I was about to say head, be in charge, but she's like the 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 lady of the hour for when it comes to like engineering, uh, you know, optimizations and that, and and just kind of driving our project in general. So I kind of want to take the approach of you know, Dan, maybe you can take the the perspective or the lens of maybe the more graphics focused yeah, sure. on per- performance and optimizations, and Lisa can take more of maybe the generic or general general engineering optimizations that you know you would take in code. Uh, so that said. Uh, one thing I want to start, actually, before we can get to that, what is like, what is optimization in your own words? Like, what, how do you, what do you what? consider optimization? What is performance? Yeah, exactly. Optimization is <laughs> performance. Dan, you want to go first on that one? Uh, yeah. How philosophical of a go, question Go is crazy. That? It's, it's very vague. So whatever you, whatever speaks to you. Your soapbox, exactly. dude. All right. Well, uh, what, I'll, I'll give a, I'll give the textbook definition and then I'll let Lisa, uh, pontificate a little bit. How's that okay. sound? <laughs> um, 
optimization when we talk about optimization we're talking about um uh, anything that makes uh the game run better um and now run better does not necessarily just mean the fps uh is is always 60 or whatever it just means it just means hitting a target um that might be you might be targeting 30 uh with tons of overhead so that for example a phone runs very cool it doesn't get too hot um so performance can mean you know not making the game run too hot it can mean not making the game um you know, run super slow. Uh, it could also mean not making the game have uh, spikes where it, it you know, f- frame hitches is what we usually call them, where, you know, maybe you have um, 60 FPS most of the time, but then every every five seconds you have these, like, huge spikes where it drops, oh, we dropped, like, you know, 20 frames in a row, and the player really notices that, and if there's, you know, uh, critical inputs that have to happen in that time, um, maybe the player missed something. Uh, so when we talk about optimization, uh, we're, t- we're talking about um, techniques to... Uh, eliminate those scenarios and make the game run in uh, under ideal circumstances, uh, typically on as many devices as, as we can, unless you have the luxury of being a console designer, in which case I am very yeah. envious. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I mean, there's a that's an excellent definition, but it's also very narrow focused into the scope of what is good for things that run on your phone. However, there also are several other domains that are games related that may affect this, like um, how much money do we pay for servers and uh, how much space is our player data taking up? Um, even also on consoles, like how much is your save file? How big is your save file? Um, and how big is your your download? You know, for reaching for users, which can affect other platforms as well. As, I guess that also affects mobile from a client perspective. But uh, there are you know multiple other things that's very much server related. Um, and overall, all of those can really impact uh, have good you know expectations for the player and also for the developer um, in the long term nice. making more money. See- yeah, so optimizations of speed versus uh, speed and size are kind of two different facets, basically, right? Sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, I love it already. You guys are already already being a superstar. <laughs> but so actually, when I was re- when I was working on this outline, I one of the things when I asked myself that question, like, what is optimization? My definition came out to be re- kind of refactoring for performance. Um, and I said, like, you know, mm. and refactoring just for our listeners who may not know what refactoring is, it's a disciplined technique for restructuring. Uh, you like your code or your project and like altering your internal structure without changing like exterior external or exterior behavior. So without changing how the game works, uh, but just in, like working on the internals of the game. So that's what my definition was. Do you guys agree with that or you think it's more than just refactoring? No, I, I vehemently disagree nice. with that. Cool, cool. So <laughs> what, what makes you disagree or agree? Um, p- particularly because when we talk about refactoring, we're talking about uh, things we did in retrospect, things we did in hindsight. Um, and obviously, people who have worked with me know this, that like I like to be thinking about performance um, you know, uh, from the outset um, before we encounter those problems. Uh, because while sometimes, yes, you can, you can submit lackluster code and that doesn't run really well and be like, oh, whatever, we'll, you know, we'll fix this in the future. Um, it's very easy uh, to get into situations where you can't really change things. Things that you thought were internal, oh, oh, this class is actually now exposed in a way I never expected. Um, and so your your previously bad line of code that you thought would get optimized later is now uh, is is a feature that a UI uh, artist is using, and it can't possibly ever change without like fundamentally re- reworking or or maybe rebuilding a little bit a little bit more heavy handed refactoring. Um, so, so yeah, I think just looking at it as a, as a process that happens later in the project does not fully encapsulate, 
uh, so optimization. Is that, is that never a case, you think? Or are there times where maybe, and this is maybe a small number of cases where you're doing something that's maybe so innovative, you're like, we just need to get this to work. And if this even works, then we've got something kind of cool here. And then the refactoring comes later where it's like, yeah, well, now that we know that, it's like we can go back and say, well, we can reduce... Right. You know, what it, by whatever metric to get it to now that it actually works, we can make it work better. Right. Because I feel like what you're saying is a two way street. Like, um, knowing, thinking about optimization going in is a very good thing to know. But, like, also, game development itself is general is a very iterative and creative process. When you make something the first time, it may not end up being what is in the ship game. And if you spend so much time optimizing a feature, um, in a way that is not ultimately going to be in, mm-hmm. you know, the final vision of the project, you have just severely wasted your time. Right. That's yeah. that's kind of that's kind of funny. Funny because I actually had this as a topic for later in the discussion, but you guys bring it, bring it up right now, which is kind of like the stigmas around optimization. And one of the major ones and more popular ones that people or developers have, I think, is that what we're talking about is like, you know, you don't really want to over optimize or optimize before you even finish a feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and especially like in the, in this tech world and hardware world that we live in with mobile devices, consoles, computers, you know, being loaded with memories or having intense processors, both the CPU and GPU, uh, I feel like developers are less and less concerned with optimizing before, you know, even, you know, finishing a feature. Um, so do, do you guys think, so it sounds like there's some disagreement on whether over over optimization is a thing. I mean, like it. Over-optimization is definitely, is a thing. There's definitely this sort of, um, you know, can't see the forest through the trees problem where you you really do spend so much time like, oh, I'm going to make this one, you know, bit twiddly perfect version of this thing. Um, and, you know, then you don't need that entire function or whatever. You don't need that entire class or like Lisa's suggesting maybe the entire feature gets gutted. And then any of the time you've invested towards that um, right. uh, does break um, or just gets wasted. Um, so somebody recently brought up the idea to me though, that, um, one way to look at the things that you should optimize, uh, beforehand versus the thing that you can optimize later is, um, optimize dependencies first. Um, so, you know, systems that everything in your game, uh, relies on. Okay. That's, those are places that it's always safe to optimize because they, they are not as flexible as, as sort of the leaf nodes of your, your, if you think of your entire code base dependency graph, those things that the leaf nodes, well, whatever, we don't care if this is crappy right now, if it comes up in the profiler, you know, two weeks before ship, even it's just this one lone class that we can come back and, uh, hopefully do something about. Um, yeah, I don't know if Lisa, does that sound slightly more agreeable? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that, that sounds great. I mean, if, yeah, if you're, you have a physics based game, um, that, you know, your game is always going to be about, you know, rendering a thousand bouncy balls on the screen, then making your physics engine so that the collision detection for bouncing with the ground is optimal. I mean, if you think that's not something, even if your game ends up being about bouncing square, having one bouncing square, you know, later in its life cycle, then um, your, you know, your bounce code is still, you know, going to be used down the line that that could be um, an easy target, uh, like a concrete example of what. Um, you're talking about so i totally agree nice that's a i think that's a great analogy because it illustrates the ripple effect even through just code in general it's like core systems affect everything else so it makes sense to spend your time there i like it sure yeah that's a good general rule of thumb i guess uh so one question i had was like um and this is again kind of philosophical and vague and and really open to interpretation (laughs) but how much do you think 
a developer, both, you know, with art or design related or engineering, consider optimization and performance when initially developing their features. So kind of what we touched on, but, you know, I kind of want to get some of your concrete or, you know, your firm, you know, answers on this. <laughs> um, I'd say about, uh, from from my experience, uh, certainly at Sprockets, maybe about uh, between 5 to 10% of your studio is going to uh, die hard give a shit about this stuff in advance mm-hmm. um maybe to a fault um absolutely certainly we've seen people come through through at sprockets uh that did it to a fault that were like okay well you fucking wasted time with this thing and right. that's there was no reason to build that um um yeah does that, that that sort of answers part of it i guess of who's thinking about optimization that goes for artists as well i mean you're going to have your artists that are thinking about their poly counts and poly budgets, and they're going to come up to engineers and be like, Hey, can I do this thing? Is there a way I can do that? But for every artist you get like that, you're going to have um, nine of them who just, you know, they, they do, they just make the thing like, Oh, this is how I made the art. And this is the way I did it. And it's like, okay, well maybe that wasn't the most optimal way of doing it. Um, uh, in, in that regard, I feel like you sort of get into wasted time, uh, in a different way that we, when we talk about like, oh, maybe you're wasting time um, optimizing in advance. Sometimes it's like, well, no, sometimes you're wasted time because you've built your Photoshop file in a way that's like, you're not going to have to go back and redo three of your layers because, you know, an engineer is going to yell at you <laughs> because you did it in a way that is basically never going to work. It's never going to be performant. Right. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, right. so that's more like the laziness up front just like causing a fallout later right you I, know? I wouldn't necessarily call it laziness it might be just you know lack of the, having the full <laughs> well I've seen laziness I've seen laziness it's okay sure yeah I'm sure it's, like, I'm sure it's that a both. 4k texture with just like two wall textures in it right. yeah stop sure. I mean stop I, I mean that kind of thing can apply to engineering too I mean making the right tech decisions about core tech from the start can make or break performance um, oh yeah like, so there's like deciding what libraries to use. And if you, you know, you pick a, an engine or a library, like uh, um, I worked on one project uh, with with the Unity engine, right? When Unity was experimenting with uh, Unity to ActionScript 3 compiler. Oh, goodness. Um, and uh, <laughs> basically what ended up writing is you write C-sharp code, C- Unity compiles that to C++, and then converts it to ActionScript 3. That's and phenomenal. after translating your code through three different languages, I mean, ultimately Ew. the day, you're not going to get performance. Optimized code <laughs> isn't spit out the other end? Are you <laughs> yeah. So, maybe in the C++ plus version. Garbage in, garbage out? Wow, that's a <laughs> so, um, shocking revelation. You know, then, like, trying to solve, you know, performance problems at that level, like, there's, you know, some point of the day, you're like, well, yes, we have performance problems because we're relying on some, like, three layers of crazy technology here. So, so even when you have one layer, though, one layer of abstraction sometimes is enough for people to miss that you know the the abstract code um where C, any high level uh, language c plus plus c sharp um the the language that spit out the il that spit out may not do you know the most optimized thing and and uh there's sort of a benefit to the mentality of um uh what's what's the adage uh think think low level um write high level that's you kind of always have to do that <laughs> Well, not always, but it's beneficial to do it. Right. Well, it's beneficial to know what's going on behind the scenes, even in a high-level language. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you know. So. I, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen I've seen engineers that were 
um, six, mo- six months to a year on a project in Unity and did not know that struct and class meant different things than they did in C++, but they mean a dramatically different thing in terms of performance. So um, definitely <laughs> look that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, random question. When we talk about optimization and performance, does that excite you, Lisa? Does that make <laughs> you excited? Uh, I would have to say no. Okay. <laughs> uh, as far as the all the parts of game development, uh, optimization is a necessary part. Um, but however, it is almost the opposite of uh, game development in the fact of you're saying you have very stringent requirements of, like Dan was started talking about of like uh for optimization is keeping things the same like you need to your game needs to at the end of the day look the same and uh behave the same to the user but be better and so because of that it's very frustrating to have to present work on something with the ultimate goal in mind is look it looks exactly the same as it did when i started right exactly (laughs) so that's actually one of the kind of the stigmas in and that i wanted to address as well is like it seems like for a lot of developers, a uh, majority of developers, not the Dan's of the world, but that optimization <laughs> is kind of like the drudge or the kind of the dev black backlog. Almost looked at the dev backlog. Oh, I never claimed that I liked doing <laughs> it. It's the, it's the least favorite thing. My, my least, my least favorite look thing good. that I do. Not making things look fast. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> making things work good. That's a good quote. That's a good one. <laughs> so do you guys feel the same way then? So like, you kind of feel like optimization... And like having to tackle performance is kind of like the just you have to do it. It's not the the most exciting part of game development. I I like when I'm writing a new system. I like thinking about it and writing code that I know is optimal. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is such a nice, beautiful, fast piece of code. But I don't like. I definitely don't like going back to um, even my own code, but mm-hmm. especially going back to other code that somebody wrote like two years ago or something. And like, oh my god, I don't know what their intention was. I don't even really Sorry. understand <laughs> it, but I have to. <laughs> yep, yeah, so that's the one. You, Sorry, you contributed ahead. to combat code, right? Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's. It's. I think that's kind of. A general like a stigma about it is just like especially having to optimize someone else's code um i feel well is that also also sorry right. to interrupt but is that also another like idea of optimization there i think is you know reducing complexity because you mentioned like sort of callback hell or say async token hell <laughs> or you know maybe cho- what are you choosing for your back-end um, protocols and interaction? Like, is it like a persistent connection versus that has a lot of back and forth between multiple services, or is it more of a RESTful-based thing? You know, mm-hmm. so optimization could also be, instead of just speed, it's also complexity or stability or something like that, which maybe, that could be argued another right. way, maybe, is like, was the design initially a little odd? But just throwing right. that out there is another, like, hey, optimization is saying, this was a shit choice for um, like actually interacting with all this stuff this way, and here's something we could maybe do to unravel that, make it easier on developers to avoid mistakes for them, as well as the system being more performant and reliable. Do you, do you consider so. that optimization, or do you consider that just refactoring code? Um, I mean, I, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that may be more refactoring, because right. optimization, I think, may be saying... I've, I found a solution I like. 
let's improve upon that. Whereas what I may have described was just going off on a rant of like, this wasn't really the right solution. So the optimization <clears throat> is kicking it out the door and finding the right that, solution. And that could I be think, part of optimization. Think, Sorry, go ahead, Lisa. Right. Yeah. I think the flying go, line there is, are you optimizing then for the end user or are you optimizing for the developer mm-hmm. at that point? Because what you're describing, Ryan, is more of what we call in the tech debt refactoring range, which is optimizing right. for the developer's right. ease of use. So we can add more features, have clarity for understanding the code, um, things like that versus more optimization more traditionally re- results in something that the end user can um, feel or see or somehow affects them. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a fair look on that. Is it like, is it an internal or an external reflective optimization type of thing? Yeah. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like it. I love it. All right. So I kind of want to transition out of our uh, stigma talk and about optimization and move on to, uh, so I call this, this section, Two perspective, two approaches. Oh. And hopefully we'll take... <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> oh, Dan, you're an ass. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, anyway, but... You just stay up all night thinking about that? <laughs> I know, right? I'm going to edit that piece out. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, in this section, I kind of want to just take the... Like, give you some scenarios and you guys take two approaches to how you would address, you know, methodologies mm-hmm. you guys would take to optimize slash perform make something more performant in these cases i guess um so let's assume i don't know your tech director or you know your graphics architect came up to you lisa and dan and said hey make our game better what and i have a feeling that's something they would say yeah uh well but you know in reality they're kind of saying you know optimize our game make it you know make it perform better what would you what would be your first step when you hear something like that uh lisa you go first Profiling, 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 profiling. So um, every game is different and every game is going to have its own little special snowflake problems um, based on all kinds of different things. And you really, what you need to do is there is no one good, one fixed solution. You need to find what works for your game. That being said, there are some, you know, like general good practices, which is why we call them good practices. But um, maybe Dan can can uh, elaborate on that. But uh, I feel like there's no one magical bullet that you can use for everything. For sure. Would you say the same thing, Dan? Is the is that your first step after someone would ask that of you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't even really start without knowing well where to start right if you, if you just go in blind of like oh, i don't think this code is particularly fast i mean w- without profiling before and after your change you don't even actually really know if you made a difference um right. unless there happens to be a system in your game that is so heinously built that okay we all know that you know this our mesh generation system or some something like that is is so slow that i'm going to go in and multi-thread it and maybe you don't profile that because you're like well that's guaranteed to make it run eight times faster if we have eight cores i I would even argue that that is almost a form of profiling itself it's not a very accurate form of profiling but a user experience of what, yeah, faster. when you engage with this thing, the game right. slows down. So we assume that that system is, is yeah, that, that's fair. For sure. Um, yeah, definitely starting with profiling is is absolutely the first uh, the first take. Cool. So for yeah. for you, some Unity developers, uh, even maybe a majority of Unity developers or developers in general, they hear profiling and they may have question marks or they may be like, mm-hmm. okay, but what do you mean? Can you guys go into details on? quote unquote profiling what that means to you and and maybe the different ways you can profile different things uh you want to start lisa 
Uh, sure. So, profiling, there are lots of different areas of your game that can be profiled, and actually even Unity's, like, official website has um, good references, like, a good write-up page of, like, how you can tackle these kinds of problems and start from there. Um, obviously, there's plenty of other blogs on the internet you can read about, um, but I would even just start from Unity's homepage. Um, the two, I would say, like, the, the three major places you're going to look at are your CPU, your GPU, and your memory. Um, there are, depending on what platform you're running on, there are other things you could do, but I think those are three pretty broad categories you can you can look at. Um, uh, either, all three of those have their own different problems. Um, GPU is for graphic stuff, and that's more Dan's territory. Um, CPU and memory are sort of the, well, there's different types of memory, honestly, and especially with working in the Unity engine, there's even, you know, extra special bits to deal with memory. But in general, CPU and memory tend to be the opposite of each other, and usually if you're trying to improve performance on CPU, it usually enforce, it um, involves sacrificing memory and vice versa. So... Um, Maybe I don't have too much experience with the GPU half of that, so maybe you could speak to that one, Dan. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, um, GPU profiling is usually um, this kind of this kind of two things you're looking at. You're looking at uh, sheer volume of calls you're making, things you're chucking onto the GPU. That's so. How many times are you saying draw this mesh with this material? Um, and then the the other big cost is usually <clears throat> those materials themselves. Each material is going to be backed by a shader. Um, and, um, profiling individual shaders, um, uh, is usually just, you know, how many, how many instructions are, are there for this shader and, um, uh, and how many pixels of the screen does that shader, uh, typically occupy? Um, and, and GPU profiling is interesting in that regard because, uh, you can actually, with a little bit of arithmetic sort of solve solve how much time you can spend in any given shader you can actually go like well we're targeting this frame rate on this device that has you know that can afford this many cycles on the gpu um and we know that the fill rate of this particular shader that's 80 cycles is going to be half the screen we know this one that's cheaper is you know 40 cycles whatever and you can actually mathematically be like oh shit we're going to be over budget so we need um you know we need to reduce draw calls we need to optimize these shaders or what what have you um CPU profiling, on the other hand, can be a, a, a little bit more of a, uh, of a beast, especially if you're um, if you're a Unity developer like most of us are. Um, you don't have access to the native side of the code. You can't step into the individual lines of C plus um, plus when you're if you've ever debugged your own C plus plus code. You can actually see to the line count, to, you know, basically to the character exactly um, where where time is being spent in any given in any given function. Um, so you can get insanely granular with your with your optimizations. Um, whereas in Unity, you might just get a call of like, yeah, this you know this update function uh, in one of your mono behaviors is slow. Good luck. And if it's like if it's some you know bastard two hundred line function, well, you, you you're gonna have a tough time. Well, I mean that that being said, you can step through your own C sharp function. You don't have very much control once it goes into the Unity you know uh, library land, but uh, but you you uh, don't have the uh, you don't have the um, the C plus well, plus debugger. The, the C plus plus debugger gives you um, the the time it took on each line, right? I don't know that you can get that in. And manage C sharp land. I haven't seen that. Um, uh, maybe you can. I don't know. I want to say I've seen it in Visual Studio on our on the server code, like the non C sharp non the non Unity side. Yeah, maybe. Um, 
I have not. So is it, Sorry. Is the difference between going into the Unity APIs versus your actual native, or just your C-sharp code, like, as far as getting those timings? Because I, I know you, I've seen, like, a blowout of, like, hey, here's how much time you're spending in each function. I don't know about every line, but generally speaking, if you're in a function and you have, you know, some sort of crazy for mm-hmm. loop excess, then you can be like, oh, yeah, that's why are we doing this n squared type of thing right here? Yeah, it's it's mostly a challenge when you really get down to, like, you hit some Unity API thing, especially if you're looking at, like, if mm-hmm. it's not a very pretty looking call stack and you're like, oh, yeah, this p invoke Unity underscore dll underscore ui canvas <laughs> renderer is really slow right and you, you yeah. can see that that's yeah. rooted to one of your functions but you don't necessarily understand like how did my all you know is that like oh my code is making the ui bad and i just want to <laughs> right okay. what would you i was just to say like as far as for draw causes like visualizations what would you recommend for tools for looking at that, Dan? Like, because I, I know I've seen mm. some like better and worse stuff for that, where it's like it, you know some things can like step right. through like everything being drawn and applied. Do you have any sort of things you like to yeah. use for that? Um, preliminary, the Unity Frame Debugger is okay. It's adequate. You can you can at least scrub through and see what all the individual calls are. Uh, it doesn't do much in the way of telling you the timings of things, so it's not really good for finding why something is slow. Um, uh, render doc is a, is a standalone, um, but it has like a unity plugin, um, that, uh, will give you times. It'll be actually capture, it'll capture a single frame and it'll, it'll even show you things that the unity frame debugger does not show you like, uh, the actual renderings of reflection probes. Um, the sort of be all end all right now though, it, uh, if you are a mobile developer, um, the, well, I guess maybe if, uh, on another OSX app as well, um, the Xcode. Um, metal GPU debugger is phenomenal. It it will show you it will show you sort of the thing I was mentioning. You get out of a C plus plus debugger, which is to the line inside of your shader code what is taking the most amount of time. Uh, and, and you know it'll it'll highlight things like oh yeah you're using an ATAN function you're using you know ArcCos or something. Well that's a really slow thing to do, and you'll see that part of the shader is taking ten percent of all of your GPU time or something. Nice. Uh, so yeah. Cool. And I just sort wanted the, to the clarify, and I feel like we've kind of touched on it, but a lot of the, I guess, feedback and some of the, I guess, advice that's being thrown around is kind of, it seems like we're kind of preferential to Unity, of course, Unity development slash mobile. Uh, to a degree. You said what? <laughs> I said to, yeah, a, to a degree, degree. yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lot of things can apply to most, uh, I guess, most platforms slash uh, game design types, I guess. Um, so I guess, you know, let's keep going on, I guess, the graphic optimizations, and, and we'll stay in this land a little bit before moving on to more sure. general engineering optimizations. Like, so what are your optim or methodologies for addressing graphics when it comes to? So I think I think you mentioned for shaders, you use Xcode's uh, GPU Metal. Uh, yeah, the the Metal uh, Frame Debugger uh, in Xcode instruments or whatever is what do you do for like how do you address like maybe issues that happen with materials or texture size um you know what's your approach for handling optimizations that may involve those kind of things so that those are that's an interesting one because there's actually this hugely um human component to it which you know if you're a fucking hardcore uh render engineer who just wants to be wired into the desk all the time maybe you don't like having to be a people person um but you know, going up to an artist and being like, "Your textures are too big," <laughs> is something you inevitably will have to do. Um, that's always easier to do when you have this support of you know your lead or a tech director or, or whoever. Um, I think historically, even though t- uh, Sprockets has had a tech director who was like, "No, nah, whatever, 2K for textures, 4K textures, it's right. all good," uh, and we're still sort of you know we're still sort of paying the cost of that. 
because uh, we've got artists who don't want to let go of their their huge textures. Um, but you know, now now us engineers have to be the 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 bad men and be like, no, sorry, we're just gonna check in and change that auto auto downscales all your right. stuff. So you actually mentioned this um, earlier. You yeah. said something about budgets, and then you just referenced a human component. Where does where does mm-hmm. where does that line get drawn as far as quote unquote too big? Like your textures are too big. Um, I mean, I guess that there never are until something in profiling says that they are. I see. Um, if everybody, you know, if the game starts and you're, you're targeting mobile, but everyone's like, nope, we're going to do 2k textures the whole time. Uh, and you always run at a beautiful, silky smooth 60 FPS and everybody's happy with the game's download size. Um, or, um, and the time it takes to load le- oh. levels and all the other things that can slow down, uh, Right. I mean, te- texture size really isn't going to affect frames per second so much as, I mean, or modern, on modern GPUs, I mean, rendering large textures isn't really the enemy. The enemy, large textures are the enemy in memory it, I mean, and it, download it, it, size. It can, though, because if you have, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some bus, um, there's some bus on your phone between CPU and GPU, and uploading a 2K texture takes longer than a 512 texture. So there, there is definitely a cost um, with having very large textures. Um, uh, but you're right. It is mostly it's mostly memory is what we're usually concerned with when we're talking about um, texture size. Generally speaking, if you had to have like an overarching, and maybe there isn't one, but an overarching solution for developers out there, specifically on mobile, would you say that there is a target texture size or? Uh, it's no. It's too dependent sure. on your game. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, really, you could go with. Um, all phones support 2K. Most modern phones support will support 4K, but if you really want to be safe, 2K is your your max limit there. Other than that, I mean, there are a billion different approaches mm-hmm. to to organizing your textures. It's really about your what are your memory thresholds. I mean, and you know, Crossy Road doesn't even have textures, right? It's just all. The, you know, the vertex colors on the mesh or whatever, that's it. They don't even need textures in that game. Maybe they use them anyway, but, you know, so it's totally dependent on what you're building. So I've, I've heard mention of this thing called LOD. What what exactly are LODs? Mm. And should should developers care about it? Should we worry about it? Should we make use of it, et cetera? Um, like, like all things, I mean, when Lisa said, like, always, you know, you start by profiling, I mean, until you, until you see a need for LODs, um, uh, in your profiling, then you, you might not necessarily need to be thinking about them. Um, LOD is level of detail. Let's get that out of the way. So, um, you can create a texture or, or an asset or, or a, a shader with a different level of detail. Um, so that might mean, um, you know, on the highest level of detail, your shaders look really nice, this real-time lighting thing. But on lower level, you're actually faking all of your lighting and you've baked it all into a texture or something like that. Um, and then making that choice to switch between LODs is usually done um, on the device by saying, hey, what's the, what kind of device is this on mobile or on a, on a, uh, on a PC? What some games will do actually is they'll render a really expensive bunch of triangles of like shaders that they know are going to really test your GPU and then see how like you did, like how fast did you take? And then they'll use those to put you into quality buckets of like, you know, low, medium, high, ultra. Um, I'd actually be interested in trying something like that on mobile because right now we don't necessarily do a very great job of picking the right quality profile for any given device. I don't know. Lisa, do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about LOD and other games outside of mobile, um, more traditionally when you're dealing with large 3D environments, draw distance um, can, you know, cause your, uh, you know, draw times to be huge. And so LODs are then, you know, each individual object is swapped out at, you know, depending on how far away they are from the camera for optimization purposes so that, you don't have to draw so much detail on things that are so far away because, you know, rendering some super high reflective, high quality thing when it's only taking up three pixels on the screen, even though your camera can see it, is like a giant waste of your GPU time. So, um, uh, yes, like uh, like Dan Moran was saying, um, like taking that more to the mobile perspective, uh, we don't really, just because of the nature of the interface and the power of the devices, we don't tend to render a lot of crazy open world geometry that have that problem. And so LED almost takes on a different meaning um, when you're dealing with, um, in, you know, uh, games where the more the traditional genre of you're dealing with either 2D or 3D with a very limited camera focus, um, in which case then you're not really moving around in like, um, at being at wildly varying distances between different elements. Um, uh, and so, but yeah, LOD can abstractly then rely, talk about swapping any arbitrary assets to be a low quality, a high quality version. Um, even on, we do this even on testing with um, how big your screen is for more commonly between iPhone and iPad. Um, I mean, this is so common. Xcode even has like a freaking um, uh, API for it where you can just like at 2X and like the, here's the 2X scale texture used for iPads. It'll just be double the size. So um, it's, I don't know, it's it's a case-by-case basis, though. That's funny. I, I've, I'm so heads down in, in our own world and on mobile that I, like, for, for a moment, I t- completely right. forgot about the original <laughs> definition funny. of LOD for, for meshes at a distance. Yeah. That's like, oh, yeah. Um, I, I guess something... Uh, well, something we, uh, we you actually see even on modern games though is is switching eventually switching 3D meshes that are at a distance to a single image to a billboarded sprite or something. Um, Fortnite, obviously one of the biggest games in the world, and I guess by extension one of the biggest mobile games, has this technique that Epic uh, published a paper on recently uh, called Imposters or something. I think they're called Imposters um, that are basically really really fancy. 2d sprites it's like okay as soon as this tree is that like as soon as it is like far enough away that we don't want to show 3d at um 3d at all we show this like super accurate 2d sprite that like still reacts to lighting and stuff um so traditional led lod mesh stuff uh really cool apparently it's moving forward <laughs> so it's like a render texture for like that it's little like tree it's not a render texture so much it's like a sprite sheet but it has information of how to blend between sprites that represent different angles i'm sort of underselling the technique Very but cool. it's cool uh, cool, cool. Uh, so let's let's make a transition over to I guess more the general engineering optimizations that people and developers can take. Uh, uh, so this is kind of your time to shine, Lisa. Um, so so there's right. no, no pressure. So, <laughs> no I feel pressure. like we've touched a lot on maybe more so the client side of code uh, related code and graphics related optimizations that people take but there's also other components to games like uh networked games sure. you know there's network versus non-network games server components like you i think you did mention and there's also data storage optimizations that can yep. happen uh but let's again just focus on client and yep. can you talk to us a little about a little bit about how you address optimizations when it comes to i, don't, I guess loops for example like for loops while loops update loops you know fixed update loops etc sure like, 
Um, so, so yeah, so talking about more in the scope of, um, there's a lot to talk about in the sort of general scope of optimization. Um, but uh, in general, going back to my, my, what I was mentioned earlier is a little bit is that basically you have sort of two resources you can work with. You can work, you have CPU and you, you have memory to work with. Um, so uh, either like uh, the way all games generally work, right, is you have some sort of constant tick, right? You have a, you have a tick that happens every so often at a very high frequency uh, compared to what we see that will somehow drive your game forward and make things happen on the screen. Um, and we have so much time, um, the, the general way games work, right, is you have um, so much time before the refresh rate, before your game can redraw again. And the the uh, quick, fast, very fast redrawing of things on the screen makes the animation tricks our eyes into simulating movement and uh, you know making it look like it things looks like things are happening. Um, and when that tick rate gets below, um, I think we've said twelve frames per second. Actually, is like yeah, the, the human eye minimum. needs to perceive the bare minimum for the human eye to actually perceive movement. Um, we start getting like below that, then like we stop perceiving it as animation. And obviously, as anyone who's very familiar with games, um, 30 FPS is the standard. And when you start dropping below that, that's when the human eye can definitely start to, everyone can start to like notice a, a lack of like um, responsive time in your games. It doesn't feel like uh, the game is progressing forward. Um, Feels like, most people, <laughs> feels like a slideshow. Feels like a slideshow, right? And that doesn't feel good. Um, and usually also uh, then input ticks, depending on how your game works, if your input ticks even are, have performance hitches on that too, we're spending too much time crunching, doing stuff in between rendering and taking input, then um, it just doesn't feel very much fun. So the important part of the game really is we gotta we have to make sure that your CPU is not spending so much time that it is blocking the rendering from happening, which you know is essentially like this, that's what the CPU is doing. So what can we do to make that CPU time go down? Um, the general strategy um, is put pre-compute stuff and put it in memory, like cache it. So that way you can just read some pre-computed value for memory um, to get to do whatever you need to do. How far away is my goal? You know, like, okay, well, like, can we, if my goal, or let's actually let's do a better example. Where is my goal, right? Um, just for any game in general, right? I have... I am have an avatar and I'm trying to move my avatar to some position in the world, right? Um, knowing where that position in the world is very important for calculating how far away of it from it. And if your avatar is moving like every frame, then you're probably going to have to recalculate your position from your target goal um, every frame. That's, you know, uh, impossible to avoid. So that's something you just know you're going to have to eat every frame. But how can you make that calculation faster? Well, if you can make the math simpler by being able to just read the position of your target that is standing still every frame, then you know that you can, you know, make that calculation faster other than trying to do some algorithm to find objects. So that's called, you know, cache it in memory. Um, and then you can just read that value from memory and suddenly, you know, your time uh, to compute is gotten shorter. So that's a very abstract, you know, example, but, uh, very good. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, trying to be something that could be broad that you can kind of approaches that you can apply to most things. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and that definitely does that. It does explain that. 
so yeah, the, the caching was definitely is a definitely a big one when it comes to improving performance, especially when you're loading things into memory. Uh, one thing I wanted to have a quick discussion on uh, on the client side is, especially for C sharp developers, there's this thing called Link. <laughs> Uh, L I N Q. Do you recommend it? Is it performant? Like, what's your what are your thoughts? And that, this goes, of course, to Dan, you know, Ryan, and Lisa, whoever wants to j- jump in on this conversation. Uh, sure. Don't. I mean, Link. Link is we're getting to. Okay, so I guess we were moving away from Azure. Can you do much more specific use cases? So, Link is a very powerful shortcut tool on um, in C sharp uh, the language. It's a library that when help you. Um, uh, do operations on collections, essentially what it is. Um, and it is very powerful. It can save you um, writing. You can collapse tens of lines, dozens of lines. I don't know if you get crazy. Like, I don't know, lots of lines of code of modifying things in, in collections, which is uh, often something you do a lot in C-sharp code. And you can, like, you know, write out a for loop in, like, one line instead of six. So, um or like the really common ones are like uh, you know select you know like get give me take an array of complex objects and give me a collection of just the one field or give me part of the collection filtering by this search algorithm which you can like write all that one line using link um, but with it comes uh, the cost of you're not writing those loops anymore someone else right. is and you're relying on that that library to help you to, to figure out what you want to do um, using best case scenarios. Um, and uh, that's, I mean, in general, like that, that, that comes as a cost, basically. Uh, and it can be a very powerful tool. And we run on very powerful CPUs most of the time. Even our phones run on very powerful CPUs but, um, and with lots of memory. But you are essentially giving up the control of knowing what your code is going to do by letting um, some other library, you know, take it out of your hands yeah. and deal with it. Cool. Um, yeah, so you're kind of losing that control of, mem- like you're saying, memory or what's going on. All of a sudden you may incur more, like, garbage collection cycles and things like that just from you saying, hey, this is very easy to do. This kind of compacts the code, makes it more readable, but, you know, we kind of Do we need to explain control. what that is, what a garbage collection uh, is? Yes, that's a good one. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's... I mean, well, that's that's actually an optimization depending on yeah, your language exactly. too, because you know if you're if you're in C C plus plus, you're in total control of the memory. You don't have to worry about any of that. And I will turn it over to either of you because oh, before we <laughs> uh, well, uh, I kind of want to we're All kind right. of running short on time. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no. So I, I just going to one big thing that I wanted to tackle that's specific for Unity developers, and I think that's a, a majority of our listener base is this scripting backend that. Unity introduced, I think, back in... Are you talking about 4.6? Uh, but oh, IL2 that. CPP. Okay. Uh, yeah, 5.6, maybe. Uh, can you guys go into either Dan or Lisa what <laughs> IL2 CPP is versus Mono and, and why you would choose one or the other in development? And which platforms it's available platform for. Exactly. Um, That's a good one. So IL2 CPP is, uh, if you expand it out, is uh, intermediate language to C++. So that's where... Um, Unity will compile your C sharp code to the um, the intermediate language for uh, consumption in the .NET CLR uh, common language runtime, um, and then from there it'll take that IL and it will cross compile that to C It's kind of like the crazy tool chain Lisa described earlier from uh, C sharp to C to ActionScript three. Um, 
it was uh, quite honestly rushed at first. It was rushed out so that they could build 64-bit apps native code on um, iOS. Uh, since then, I, I, I think it's it's caught up in some some ways. It's now uh, more performant than Mono, I think, on the platforms where it's available. Um, it's available on both mobile, Android, and mobile uh, iPhone now. Uh, and I think some of the consoles support it as well. It's probably a requirement, I think, for PS4 or something now. Um, uh, in general, it's it's. I wouldn't say that that's something that should really affect your your decisions and how you build your code and how you think about optimization. I mean, maybe on some platforms, it's going to be this free win. Unity, Unity loves to claim they have those all the time, right? Like, oh, check the box or click the dropdown in our build settings and your game will run 30% faster. Um, that one in particular, I don't believe to be a, um, a silver bullet by any means. I think when we turned it on at, at Sprockets for our game, we saw like a somewhat negligible, like, oh yeah, okay, it's 2% faster. I mean, not negligible, I guess, but you know, it's not, it's not a massive showstopper. I will say one thing about that though, um, as far as like the company's requirements for, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned the iOS 64 bit Android or Google is not coming down with that this year. And later this year, they're saying, Hey, you need to start hitting target minimum APIs for your applications, as well as we need to be Mm -hmm. 64 bit compliant ourselves. And I'm not sure where unity is on that. Cause I've got to deal with some of this myself and it's like, okay, like their mono builds are straight 32 bit. And so they kind of need this aisle to CPP. It seems like they're targeting yeah. this aisle to CPP build as their 64 bit solution, kind of like they did with iOS. So, you know, outside of the optimization realm, you may need to just, yeah, you might have to box click, click the box just to be, be compliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe your build size yeah, will be yeah. a little bit bigger, but your game will run a little bit faster. I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah. So are there any disadvantages to making that checkbox? Like, having that box checked um, in Unity? Yes. Uh, yes, the baited call. <laughs> um, so the the main reason why checking that box is a checkbox and not just an automatic thing, because as we mentioned before, it's slowly becoming sort of a requirement um, for all these 64-bit compliance things, um, is because when you pre-compile all your stuff into this Unity language, you, you need to have... Um, uh, all your uh, generics stop working essentially is the short version of it, and so the the compiler needs to figure out flatten what generics do you have in your game and needs to flatten them out. And uh, for people who don't know what generics are, that's anytime you use the uh, angle brackets in in uh, C sharp. If you say list T, that's a that's a generic. Um, and the compiler can be pretty smart about this in most of the time, but uh, when you start using classes and, I don't know, you complex Reflection usages, and activator reflection, mostly are the ones that get you. Yeah, reflection is yeah. the big one. Oh, yeah. Um, the compiler is not smart enough to know what types of uh, generics you're going to be using, and so you need to somehow tell the compiler that uh, you are using these generic classes and that it needs to compile them in and not strip them out. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll get this completely just ridiculous call stack that doesn't make any sense at all. And you're like, what? What is it failing on? Um, yeah, it completely from away. the native side, your game will just crash or not work or, or run into some really strange error. That, that you're like, well, this code right. shouldn't throw an error. So, yeah. Yep. Um, there's two basic solutions to it. One is you know, there's a way you can tell Unity specifically, like, here's a list of classes. Um, in, I believe you declare it in an XML file somewhere. You're like, don't, don't code strip these. Um, 
Uh, or the other way is you can um, just declare a concrete list. You can basically hint the compiler manually by declaring a bunch of unused yeah. variables, which is usually what I've seen on most of the projects I've worked on. That's been the preferred strategy um, is basically just give the compiler a hint. Um, the downside is um, it tends to create um, a bunch of uh, compiler warnings because be like, why are you declaring these unused variables? But you can get around that. There are a couple of tricky ways. Um, if defm or not if defm? What's yeah. the um, pragma exactly? Unity does that themselves yeah, true, in their in their C sharp code. They have things that in the UI code I was just looking at today. They have two uh, generically typed things that would get stripped out on AOT. So they they wrap them in a they they declare them in scope and then they're like well I'll just wrap them in the warning thing so. Did we define AOT by the way? Was that ahead yeah of time ahead compile- of time compilation or, versus uh, yeah. mono mono gives you just in time or JIT compilation. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Good discussion. Good discussion. Um, there's a couple other aspects of this side of things that I'm not sure how much detail we'll be able to get into with time. Quickly, quickly dwindling. Uh, one speed mode. Well, speed mode, yeah. Actually, yeah. Speed mode for uh, data storage. I guess Ryan, do you want to talk about some of the optimi- I guess maybe not Ryan because you're part of the show. You're you're not a guest. <laughs> oh, burn. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's go back to Lisa and, and and just like right. touch on some of. I just I just malloc like four gigs up front. And, like I'm using all this. <laughs> this guy. Uh, some of the things you can do to optimize data storage, like uh, whether like database queries or uh, I don't want to give the answer. Yeah. But. Well, anyway, um, so when you're dealing with data storage, this is mostly a sort of server side or like save file type of problem. Um, but when you're dealing with eventually the user needs, we need to write some permanent data disk and um, you should avoid duplicating data. Um, whenever possible. Uh, however, even though, I mean, okay, I can't say that. There's no silver bullet. There's a fine line between sometimes duplicate data is useful for um, code clarity, optimization of uh, reading data, but ideally, obviously, the less duplicate data you have, the smaller your file size is. Um, only use the um, si- appropriately sized data structures that you need. If you're only going to be storing a number that is 0 through 10, you don't need a long. Um, if you're only going to be storing integers, you don't need a float. Uh, and if you're only going to be storing positive numbers, you can use a uint, even though that's the same size as an int. Use it, it yeah, just, yeah, short. You, use but the smallest. You can, you can get bigger yeah. numbers. Um, you get, you get more you get ints. Int. So um, when you're talking about <laughs> queries specifically and reading that data from disk or from a database, what are ways you can optimize queries on a database? Well, it depends on what kind of database you're using. There's SQL and no SQL or SQL and no SQL. I don't know how I pronounce <laughs> it. Um, uh, indexes are good. Um, always uh, look for, I don't know, uh, creating creating indexes uh, can help you read faster. Um, you can create. Excellent. Yeah. Custom yeah, yeah. indexing yes, for go. sure, and I think there's, I think I don't know, Mongo has, because I'm in Mongo land right now, but they we have like there's like the unique indexes, which is like on a field. There's sparse, compound, and then TTL, which is like, uh, was it total time of life, uh, which essentially you can just kill a document after a certain amount of time. Uh, what about caching? Where where does caching come in? Because you mentioned it on the actual engineering coding side of things, but does that work with data as well? Right. 
Absolutely. Caching, though, takes on, well, I guess it's sort of a similar meaning of um, reading stuff from disk in general is slow as compared to reading it directly from memory. So obviously, if you can load stuff directly into memory and then push that to the CPU, that's way faster. So Redis is the most traditional, most well-used, known thing for caching data. So um, usually it's a very typical pattern in games to pull stuff out of a database, shove it into a Redis layer, and then interact with your Redis layer um, because your read and write times are going to be way faster. Um, and then you can sort of like push stuff of, of reading, pushing all of your updates of your writes back into Mongo on sort of a, um, or any database layer onto sort of a slower background thread um, and have your live operations going to and from Redis. Nice. Excellent. Well said. All right. Final, final piece <laughs> that I want to discuss. And this is more of a, another vague philosophical question for Ooh, both of you guys delicious. or all three of you guys. Uh, how do you balance performance and pres- versus presentation? Uh, so I mean, what I mean by that is like when you're forced to think about like whether you should uh, value quality or visual aesthetic and gameplay feel versus making your game load faster. Or, you know, <laughs> how do you balance that? So I think this is, I'll probably say something that's pretty agreeable by most of us is that ultimately the game, the game comes first. Um, so if your game suffers because it has really long, really boring load screens, then you need to optimize that. If your game suffers because it runs at you know 10 FPS in the really fun parts and make those parts not so fun, then you need to fix that. Um, but ultimately, like th- that that balance, e- even though I, I'm sort of a stickler perform- for performance, that balance always does tip towards um, presentation and and what the, what the player you know what the player actually wants. Um, I, I've come to learn and accept that most players actually just want 30 FPS, and so I'll I'll forfeit my dreams of things running at 60 <laughs> FPS because. Um, go to go to uh, virtual reality. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. What's the 90 or something? The 90 hertz or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 90. Oh. That sounds fun. On basically mobile hardware, too. Excellent. That's the dream. (laughs) That's where I want to be. Cool. Any other uh, ads to that, Lisa Uh, or Ryan? um, Yeah, I'll just add that kind of going... Well, I mean, I'm agreeing with what Dan said, and um, also kind of going back to the analogy that he also said was, you know, what is your core functionality and optimize on that? Because if your gameplay is very Twitch-based, maybe you need to sacrifice visuals for a very responsive input system, you know, or maybe it's like you need, like, vast draw distances to get an all-encompassing, maybe lower frames per second, but a more rich-looking environment, you know? I don't know. It's like, what what is your core motto and what you're trying to get done with the game? And then optimize around that because, you know... Quaker Doom is one thing, then, you know, Skyrim's another thing, you know, it's, it's, they're all different, or something on your mobile device, you know, a nice platformer on that, maybe it's just twitchy and responsive there, too. It's like, you know, find what your core ideal is and optimize around it. Can I say it better myself? Cool beans. Excellent. Uh, I'm not sure if this is, or was already answered by what you both just said, but has there ever been a time where you had to forego like presentation or performance? Um, uh, so, and, and like, how was that decision made? Was it just that you said, uh, like, I don't know. How, how does, how do you make that decision? How do you know? which? <laughs> Hopefully you're decision? involved with that decision is what I'll say. Um, it's very easy to like eat some other, some of these past mistakes or maybe they didn't, may, might not have known it was a mistake at the time, but 
um, somebody was like, oh yeah, we're going to do this visual aesthetic like this. And then you come onto the project and you're like, wow, how did they ever think this was going to run on a phone? Um, that's, that definitely, that definitely can happen. Uh, if you're a part of those decisions, then, you know, it's a conversation with everybody on the team. Like, well, we think, we think this is going to really look good. This is going to be unique and it's what's going to make or break our game. Um, so then, you know, as an engineer, it's your job to sort of facilitate that dream, uh, to the best of your ability. Um, hopefully that, hopefully you can pull off what, you know, your artists or designers would ever want without making huge concessions, uh, in, in, not, in not saying, oh no, I have to slash your dreams apart because frame rate, um. Um, but sometimes you are going to have to make those choices where you're like, Hey, uh, you know, this cool thing you want to do, it's actually going to just completely make the game unplayable. So we have to decide like, is this, is this okay for this part to run really slow, but look really cool. Kind of like what Ryan was saying a moment ago. Have you, have you ever been, uh, limited or gated by things like, Hey, do you, you, unless you're able to optimize this in, you know, six hours or a day of effort, then we're going to forego it. Or like, you know, there are there other determining factors besides just hey, let's make a decision. Should we optimize? Yes or no? Or should think, we optimize? Yeah, uh, I think we. I think Lisa, you know, I might have talked to this even at work. Is that like um, pro- project management uh, will often undervalue some things. Um, uh, like they, they they might or value it very differently um, in terms of like, oh, I think this task is going to be like really uh, really easy or not very risky, um, but have this payoff. Um, and sometimes performance things can go into that because you're again, like we've been the kind of the, everything we talk about, you're changing things internally and getting some speed. So it's like, Hey, yeah, this is invisible to the external user, but it's going to make things run better. Um, but then somebody sitting on a spreadsheet of like all the bugs that are in the game, they're like, great, well don't do that invisible thing then. Cause I don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to fight for time sometimes to, uh, to fight for those hours in the day. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Right, which is why it comes back to the important definition of optimization, which is making the ultimately the end experience of what making sure the user facing ultimate experience becomes better. Right, so you need to find the the easiest way to justify that, especially when you're talking to producers and fighting like why should we be spending time optimizing versus adding a new feature to the game? Is you can say like, well the input will like will run most people know what frames per second are you say like well this will gain us five frames per second and then that is becomes a measurable quantifiable feelable metric that you can say that you know we can do that um other things when it's more obvious when you're running on phones you start hitting memory pressure limits which we didn't really talk about um but you straight when up you run out of memory above a certain <laughs> amount of memory you will just straight yeah. up crash the game uh so that one becomes a much more sort of obvious thing to fight for of like, well, I can make the game not crash. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's an easy, that's an easy one to do, actually. Yeah. That one that's you an always easy one. Time for you. In fact, that's the one you're assigned, actually, as a P1. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so quick P1. Yeah. Yeah. High priority. Optimize that. <laughs> so would you say, Lisa, with that comment, as a general rule of thumb, if you don't see any or you won't get any feelable, measurable gain out of an optimization that is now considered an over an optimization you shouldn't do it i would agree with that statement okay what about you ryan i would also agree with that statement yeah i mean you're kind of jerking <laughs> off at that point to be crass about it i mean <laughs> to be it's like very crass about it. <laughs> i mean yeah, she's right yeah you know it's like you you're working on it does anyone see any physical gain from that does anybody's life get better no well then um, what'd you do wow. 
Well then, I guess if I'm if I have to play devil's advocate here, um, there there is sort of uh, a problem sometimes where you know when you go into profiling, you kind of look and you go, well, shit, there's no one system that is running really poorly. Uh, We're kind of dying a death of a thousand cuts, Um, and so at that point, you do kind of run into this thing where like every single optimate, like we have we can't do all one thousand of these tiny things that we have to fix, but you kind of have to do some of them at some point, right? I mean. Um, or, or maybe, or maybe you don't, maybe you say, screw it. The game's going to run at 25 FPS. Um, because you know, like, like if we do all thousand of the things, we can take it from 25 to 30, but if we don't do any of them and 25 is good enough, then who gives a shit? I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Another thing is with games, there's also a lot of times and mm. time constraints too, where, you know, it's like at some point you just right. got to say like, listen, this is good enough or we're here. We're happy with this. Could we optimize a little more, squeeze it? Yeah, maybe, but, I mean, in the end, is anyone going to really notice, like, because, honestly, budget and time and marketing comes into some of this occasionally. It's like, listen, we can't delay the game another month for saying, hey, we might be able to get, like, some cooler hats on people, you know, that type of thing. I can optimize the rendering system to get five more hats on each character, and now, you know, it's like, no, sorry, we can't do that. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's almost past Ryan's bedtime, so we have to wrap things up. Uh, final thing, if you guys, uh, Lisa or Dan, or Lisa and Dan, if you have any lingering parting advice that you'd like to live, leave with our listeners at, um, it could be related to performance. It could be related to life. How to make stuff look good in, <laughs> in Unity or in games. So let let us know. Do you have any parting advice you guys want to leave our listeners with? Uh, go for it, Lise. Uh, profile, profile, profile. Right, it's pretty there good. Go. <laughs> um, you got one. Parting advice. Uh, your doc says parting advice or story time. I don't want to take a do a story. That seems like you don't have time for that. Jeez. You gave him the doc? <laughs> I didn't give him the... How do you know this? <laughs> he just said it. He, just he literally you, just Your doc said it. says this. Oh, so uh, now sorry, I let them behind I, the curtain. Pulled back the curtain. It's all downhill. Down. 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 Oh, man, Dan, thanks for throwing no. me on the bus there, buddy. Anyway, let, your let me doc says, let's just say, you were awesome. Obviously, I agree with Lisa. I mean, you know, before you, you know, burnout trying to optimize the hell out of your game how about actually profiling it and making sure you have something to fix before you just throw yourself against the wall for 20 hours for no reason (laughs) sweet love it performance profile all right thanks again lisa hicks and dan moran friend of the podcast friends of the podcast (laughs) hopefully Ooh. yes it was was very awesome talking to you guys thanks for having me all right yeah love you Sorry, bye. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that how you outro? <laughs> Ew. And we're back. So that was a great interview with Dan Moran and Lisa Hicks about optimization. And, the, you know, they have a lot of experience from a lot of different angles. I don't know. What did you think of being That was pretty great I mean, to hear their perspectives on that shit. Agreed. Agreed. I really loved it. I feel like they dropped a lot of good knowledge. And I feel like I say that in every interview. But they really did. We kind of tackled. I mean, there's a like I think Dan mentioned. But there's a lot that goes into this topic of optimization and performance. So we couldn't really cover every aspect of it. Um, maybe we'll do a, a part two of this show. But 
there was just a lot that we covered, and I feel like they offered a lot of information that can be immediately applied to your game. So definitely, definitely, if you need to go back and listen to some pieces, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I, you know, honestly, can see us doing a part two because even at the end of the episode or post episode, we were talking about how, hey, you know, we didn't even get to some of the networking stuff. I mean, there, there's just so many avenues for this type of, uh, you know, optimization and just trying to get your game faster, more efficient, smaller, whatever it is, based on what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's it's a broad subject, and you know, it could. It could be even brought into a series of stuff. For you sure. Know, heck, maybe bring it. Yeah, yeah, so what we can actually do is keep that conversation going on our Facebook group, which I'll talk about now, which is Absolutely. called the Facebook, or it's called the Debug Lounge. It's on Facebook. Uh, you can find it by just going to Facebook and searching for the Debug Lounge and requesting an invite, and we will accept your request in like, I don't know, a couple minutes, usually. Uh, we're usually pretty fast about that. Exactly. Um, outside of that, if you want to support what we're doing here on the podcast, delivering episodes now monthly, you can go to patreon.com slash the debug log and sign up for a tier and, and donate some money that helps pay for hosting, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, website hosting, podcast hosting, episode hosting. Yeah, just the ins and outs, like little legal things and all that mishmash. It's not crazy, but, you know, it helps. It definitely does. Um, Cool. We need to we need to bother Andrew about that store too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's that's another. Yeah. <laughs> Any, I want another hoodie. So. <laughs> so anyway, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at obeans. That's O with an H, beans with a Z. And I'm at R E Kilgore, K I L L G O R E. Sweet. Thanks for listening.